Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Come on out tell the truth. How many people thought that was really that song from Aladdin? And it wasn't, of course. But the thing, I say that, I told that joke in the first service, but I say it again because Mike always has this way of finding a song uh, that, that leads into the sermon just right, and this choir always responds to that, and they do such a great job. They serve, they give of themselves, and I appreciate them so much, and I'm, I'm sure that you do too, of creating this music that creates this beautiful worship atmosphere. And you know, there's an old preacher saying that says, a ship is safest when it's in the harbor, but it's not built for the harbor, it's built for the sea, and it's dangerous out there. And you know, uh, we could play it safe, and we could just have church in here in our little building for ourselves every week, but that's not what the gospel's supposed to do. It's supposed to go out there, and to get it out there, we have to have lights, camera, action, sound, we have to have all this stuff. And you know, sometimes sometimes it's smooth sailing, and sometimes there's a storm, and whenever the, whenever we have a power outage, sometimes there's a bit of a storm. And uh, Daniel Shifflett, our technical director and his team in this room and the other room do a masterful job of corralling all this technology for the single purpose of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. That's what we're trying to do. So we appreciate their efforts. And, and you know what? Uh, we're going to worship. And if there's a glitch or two, there, it won't make... Just kidding. That's just me. Sorry. 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 Couldn't resist. Anyway, where were we? Jesus and this crazy saying, uh, and we're going to read it in just a minute. We were at annual conference about a month ago. It's a Methodisty thing. We can talk about it later. I'll explain what it is if you're not Methodisty. But it's a wonderful time when uh, lay people and pastors get together every year. I mean, it goes all the way back to John Wesley in the in the 18th century. Get together, uh, and I ran into some folks that I had the privilege of going to Africa with a few years ago, and we were sharing stories. And I was reminded of one that kind of uh, refer- that that I think is a reference to to the deeper meaning of this passage, and and that is we we took a big plane. You always take a big plane to Amsterdam and then a big plane to Entebbe, uh, which is in Uganda. And then in Entebbe, you take a little plane. It's a, it's a twin-engine turboprop. It's, it's seated just enough people, 19, I think, to get our team onto this dirt runway and yay. And when we were loading the plane, the pilot said, okay, okay, we have too much stuff. We can't take all this stuff with us. Now, we had bags, not only of personal belongings, but we had bags that had water filtration systems. This was before, several years ago, before the Methodist Church had dug all the boreholes uh, that we have dug over there so that people can have water that won't kill them and, and make their older people and babies sick. Um, so uh, we had these water filtration systems, and we had medicine and medical supplies, and we had books. And that was the last thing to go on so they could pack it carefully. And the pilot said, well, we can't, we can't get that on the plane. So we were faced with the decision. You know, we've got bags with, with toiletry items and clothes. And we had one that had other kind of convenience foods for us because sometimes the food is, 
is, um, is not exactly uh, American-friendly in, in Africa. It's nutritious, but, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's not always best for our systems. And so we'd pack this bag full of Pop-Tarts and stuff. And so, you know, there's the decision. It's like, well, you know, we can't take all of this stuff. Uh, and we, we told the, one of the people who had a bag with, you know, toiletry items, underwear stuff, look, you can live without your underwear. We got to have the Pop-Tarts. Make sure the Pop-Tarts get on the plane. But, but we had to make a decision. Are we going to take the stuff that makes us comfortable or are we going to take the stuff which, which is in, essential to the mission? All the other medical supplies and food. So we took the water filtration systems. We, lo- we left the other stuff behind. It came three or four days later. The plane goes to yay a couple of times a week. But the point was simple. The point was simple. We, we couldn't take everything. We were going to be overloaded with stuff that wasn't essential to the mission. And we weren't going to be able to take the stuff that was. And I say that to say this, because in our lives, and this is kind of a place to start for a minute this morning, sometimes we can become so filled with good stuff that we don't have room for the best stuff. And I want to use that to walk us into this passage we're going to read this morning because it's one of these passages that's easy to dismiss. Um, this is one of the crazy, this, this sermon series, Crazy Stuff Jesus Said. This is it. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then you can inherit eternal life. And it's about this story that's often called the story of the rich young ruler. And in fact, in my Bible, that's, that's the heading. But while the man was a person of wealth, it says nothing about him being rich or a, or a ruler. Other gospel accounts have something about that. And it's really, the title is sort of a conflation of three different accounts. All of that to say is we have preconceived notions of who this person is. And what I want to do for a minute this morning is blow all those out of the water so that we can rightfully find our place as this man who, uh, who approaches Jesus with a question and hear it for what it really is. So so that we don't slip through a loophole or something, because this is important. We all become overloaded with stuff that's good, absolutely good, but not the best stuff, and, and it can become a barrier. Sometimes, sometimes these things in our life that are boosts and kind of boost our life along, sometimes they can become barriers when it comes to God and, and our discipleship. So we don't want that to happen. So let's read from uh, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him. And if you have a Bible, underline this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's verse 21. One thing you lack, he said. And that prefaces this hard word from Jesus. He loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you now for this passage that just really hits us right between the eyes. And uh, we ask, O oh God, that the power of your Holy Spirit, the same power that inspired Mark to write, would inspire us to hear and not back down, but to be willing to wrestle a little bit and find the good news that is surely here for all of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I just want to break it down and, and I want to use three words to do this for just a minute because I think there is a pathway for us to find our way from this point of finding ourselves in this predicament of this man who approached Jesus of thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do that because we, we may be squirming already that we can find our way from that into a place of following Jesus. Because I got to, and this is not in the scripture, I'm totally making this up. But I like to think that somewhere down the road, the man came around, you know. Uh, we won't know for sure, but we do know for sure whether or not we come around. So we're going to talk about how we recognize and then prioritize and then internalize these words from Jesus and find a way to make it truth for our living. Let's, let's look at it. Now, let's start with verse 17 for a second because this really sets up the whole thing. As Jesus started on his way, uh, that doesn't just mean he's left foot, right foot, uh, here he goes down the road. What way? What way was that? The way to Jerusalem? Yes, but more importantly, it was the way to and the way of the cross. Jesus was on his way to the cross. And that's crucial because this whole thing for us, as we, as we read through it and trying to find truth and direction for our lives, we understand that Jesus is coming from a place of sacrifice, of unconditional love, of putting everything and everyone first. Well, first, actually, he put, his, he put his father's will, which was for him to come and to complete the mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then quickly after that came all the people who would benefit from his sacrifice. So keep that in mind. That sort of sets the tone. And then don't miss this. And I miss this so, so many times when I've read this passage, but not this time. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. See, it's because we see this rich young ruler and we think, you know, we see this guy and he's in flowing purple robes and, or, or polyester black ones as the case may be. And it's, you know, his chest is all puffed out and I'm a ruler and I'm young and I'm rich. And Jesus, I, I want to talk to you about something. You know, we can, we can, we can get that idea about this guy and that's not biblical. In fact, it's not fair to this guy. This guy is a devout Jewish man who comes running toward Jesus, sliding in on his knees to have a conversation with him. He's, he's coming in humility. I mean, as we'll find out, 
He feels, though, as though he is a, a righteous, young, Jewish, young. I, made, I put, see, I did it myself. It doesn't say that. This righteous Jewish man coming to talk to Jesus. But he's not coming from a place of pompous airs. He's coming from a place of humility. And I think that's important. I think we need to give this guy a break because guess what? You and I are both this guy at one time or another. So, so he says... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You put all that together and you've got a guy who's probably pretty comfortable, but there's something, there's something inside of him telling him there's more. There's something else. There's something I'm missing here. And so he comes to Jesus to ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he was able to recognize that even in in all of his stuff, good stuff, and there's no reason to think that the stuff he had was bad. But it was bad if it caused him to not recognize a deeper need, but he did. He was able to recognize this deeper need, and in all of his wealth, he came to Jesus for the thing that was missing. When we recognize the discomfort in our comfort, then we're ready to meet Jesus. We're not ready to meet Jesus when we think we got it all figured out. And sometimes for people who have a lot, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a lot. If people are wealthy, there's no, there's no sin in being wealthy. There's no virtue in being poor. It's just that people are what they are. And what we want to try to do is, is try to help the people who don't have enough, those of us who have plenty. And, and we have lots of people in this church who do that. But Sometimes we can be really comfortable and think, you know, I'm pretty well set. I'm not sure Jesus has anything for me. And that is a common way to, uh, that, that people kind of think about Jesus and the possibility of him in their life. When we recognize the discomfort in our comfort, we're ready to meet Jesus. That's what happened to this man, and that can happen to you and me as well. Now, let's move on. Why do you call me good? This one gets kicked around a lot. And, and it's really interesting, though. Uh, Jesus answers, why do you call me good? Because remember, he said, good teacher. Question, question, good teacher. Why do you call me good? Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. And people have used this to say that Jesus didn't think he was God. He was pointing to the Father. And Jesus did always point to his Father because they were a team, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were a team. But what Jesus was doing, if you will, is sort of scorching the earth a little bit because he, he knew the hearts of people. He knew where this guy was coming from. He'd already sized up what he was going to say to him. And he knew he was going to come to him with this, hey, I've kept the law since I was a boy stuff. And that's good. But so Jesus was starting off by kind of taking that off the table. No one is good. I know you think you're good. No one's good except God. Now, what was it you wanted to tell me? And it sort of it sort of puts the guy maybe a little bit off balance and helps establish where Jesus is ultimately going to go with all this. So the guy says, or, or Jesus goes through the commandments, and it's interesting the ones he picked. Um, there were two tablets, and sometimes theologians will say there are two tables of commandments. And the first one, those first commandments, the first few on the first tablet, they're the vertical ones, the God ones. Thou shalt have no other God before you. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And so on. 
Then there's the second tablet. That's the horizontal tablet. This is the one about what Jesus listed it. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't defraud. And Jesus didn't mention the first tablet because I think he kind of figured this guy had that. He's devout. He knows his stuff. He's been going to the temple. He was bar mitzvahed probably whenever he was a little boy because he said, I've been following the law since I was a little boy. He's got all that. He's got the vertical part down. But that's, that's the first priority. But the other part he may be missing. And, and we don't want to read too much into this, but maybe, maybe did he defraud someone to get all that wealth? Was he, did he not honor his mother and father? Did he perhaps uh, have some deals where he was somewhat less than truthful? I don't know. And, and that's probably unfair to even project that. But suffice it to say, what Jesus is trying to do is help him to see that his high priorities are out of whack. I think Jesus suspects that his stuff is the top priority for him. Maybe right after God, it's the stuff and not people. But that second tablet, that's where, that's the important part. That's where loving God meets loving people. And if we're not loving people, then God's not all that interested in us loving him. And that's, I'm sorry, that's just the way Jesus would, would look at it. It starts with God, but it has to go to others. And Jesus was suggesting that the man needed to prioritize his life to elevate others that may have been down here. I think it was God, stuff, and people for this man based on the way Jesus answered him. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that those other things in our life aren't important. We all have stuff. Look, look, look at all around. We all have stuff, and there's nothing wrong with your stuff and my stuff. There's nothing wrong with having work to do and, and that being an important part of our lives. There's nothing wrong with recreation and going out on the boat or going to the cabin or going on vacation, going to the beach, whatever. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with taking care of ourselves and running or going to the gym or playing tennis or pickleball or whatever it is we do. Those are all really good things. That's good stuff. But it, but it shouldn't be done at the expense of people and relationships and even our possessions. If we're holding on to our stuff so tight that we don't share it with anybody else, then it's out of whack. And our priorities are out of whack. And, Jesus, and that's where we need to hear these words, just like this man needed to hear these words. So then there's verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. In the original language, I understand that it can also be translated very literally, he was stunned. The man was stunned because he thought he had it all figured out. I've known these laws since I was a boy. I, undoubtedly, he goes to the temple. I'm religious. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing for you, God. I love you. Love the Lord your God. Love the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the other part of that that maybe he didn't have, and he was stunned. The man wanted what Jesus had. He was just having trouble letting go of what he had so that he could take hold of what Jesus had. And you don't have to be wealthy for that to be the case. 
It could be anything that becomes a barrier to the best stuff, and that's God and his kingdom. When we internalize this challenge that Jesus offers us, when we internalize his challenge, we in turn are left with a decision just like the man. Now, he went away sad. And we don't know what the end of his story was. We don't have to go away sad because the end of our story has not yet been written. And every single day, we can find a way to go closer to Christ and closer to being part of his kingdom. And this happens in real life. I've, I've watched this happen. I watched this happen to someone at another church that I served. Uh, there was a man, and he, he came to church, started coming to church. Um, his wife came faithfully. He started coming. He was one of these men. I was so inspired by him. He had nothing when he grew up. And he went to college and got a degree and built a business and did so well. He was a workaholic, probably an alcoholic too, at a high-functioning level, you know, just probably drank a lot at night uh, so he could do his job during the day. Didn't see him much around but then cancer came a calling, and uh, I went to see him, and we talked. And he, 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 was, he believed that, you know, it was just probably too late for him. And we talked a little bit about that, uh, about, you know, what some people call it foxhole salvation. You know, you never meet, you know, people will say you never, you never meet an atheist on an airplane that's going down or in a foxhole and blah, blah, blah. And I think he was feeling a little of that. And he was feeling like, is it really fair? You know, can you really, at this point in my life, whenever I've pretty much just done whatever I wanted, can I really go to God? And I, I, I suggested the, the story of the thief on the cross. And I said, you know, you've heard that story, right? Yeah, I said, you know, the guy, this guy's on the cross. He chose a life of crime. Who's, who knows what he had done, lived apart from God. But this is like minutes before his last breath. He turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, would you, would you take me into your kingdom? And Jesus is like, you got it, dude. Well, he didn't say that, but you know what I mean. He, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the guy I think it's the first time he'd ever thought that that really could have happened. That wasn't just a cute Bible story. It wasn't just something to make Jesus look good. That that really was true. And he finally looked at me and he said, do you really think God would have anything to do with me? And I said, that's not the important question. The important question is, at this point, will you have anything to do with God? God's all in. He's ready, but you've got to decide if you're going to let your past. And this happens to a lot of people. This could be maybe, maybe this is your wealth. Maybe this is your barrier. Maybe it's not wealth, great wealth, but it might be this. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you have hesitated from going all in with Jesus just because you think, you know what? I'm such damaged goods and I'm dragging baggage a mile long behind me. And there is no way Jesus wants me and all that baggage And Jesus says, try me. Why don't you put the baggage down and let's see. Give it away. Give it up. 
He was telling the man, he was making a point. Remember, this is the same man who said, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He was exaggerating. And I think he was exaggerating. He's not saying it's impossible for rich people to go to heaven. He's saying it's impossible perhaps for people who think that, that other things are more important. But then he says, but it's not impossible when the disciples pressed him on it because God can do anything and everything. And so he's suggesting that when we, when we approach, see this guy got, he got that close. He slid in in front of Jesus on his knees. He just had to think about it a little more. But there's no need for us to go away sad today for whatever it is that may be keeping you from going all in. And you know, it may not be, you may be a great giver to the church. I don't know. But maybe there's something more. Maybe, maybe you're being called to just go peruse our website and find something like volunteering at the thrift store. You know, that maybe what's, what's stopping? What's, if you've never volunteered at the thrift store, never volunteered to be a shepherd at VBS, or have never volunteered to greet people either here or over in the other room, or to do any other one of a hundred and one different things that this church does, more than that probably, you know, to serve others. Maybe it's time to recognize that there's something missing. And if you feel unfulfilled in your relationship with Christ, it's probably because you're trying to do it your way and not his way. Pick me. I did that for so long. I know how you feel. But when you decide to do it his way and just let all that stuff go and say, okay, I am going to give it all up. When you take that attitude, then suddenly that need that you recognized begins to be fulfilled as you prioritize and make time for these other things. And then you internalize that and you make that decision. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to follow it. I'm not going away sad. That's our choice, not his choice. Our choice can very well be to go all in. That's what he wants. All he wants, all he wants is for us to reprioritize. Put him first, put other people right here, and I promise you, everything else, everything else will fall into place. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for all the good stuff we have, and, and we, have, we have good stuff, and we have a lot of good stuff. But, oh God, we come now confessing to you that we often let the good stuff get in way of the best stuff, and that is a total commitment to you for a decision to be a disciple and not just someone who watches from a distance. Lord, help us this very day to be on our knees in humility grateful for all of our stuff, but prepared to commit our whole life to you so that we can have not just the good stuff, but the best stuff. And that is to know that we are within your will for our life in every moment and in the process, bringing your will to fruition in the life of someone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, 
including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.